Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hardcore Football. Uh, it is a nice Sunday night here, and I'm your host, uh, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by Mika Burrell. Mika, it's episode two. How are, uh, how are we feeling going into this, this second edition, this sophomore slump or comeback of the year? <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. I like it. No, it's awesome. Um, so, so much has happened already in match week two for most of, of Europe. Um, my goodness. I don't know. I, I literally spent my entire weekend watching football, whether that was at my house watching football and then watching <laughs> El Paso locomotive, uh, at Southwest university park. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's life for me and I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been like a, a pretty wild week. Um, tons to talk about, obviously. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's any point wasting any time, but I think it's worth mentioning and I don't want to like pat myself on the back too hard for this one, but uh, as we dive into this first, (laughs) we talked kind of at length the last episode about Gareth Bale and his legacy and potential moves. I kind of said that Spurs may be on the table and lo and behold, uh, Gareth Bale announced as returning to Spurs. What did you first off? I mean, I, I don't need the praise, but uh, what Phil what did is you- <laughs> Fabrizio Romano. Like, like we're beating around the bush, but we just need to l- be honest with our listeners. We don't want to set a, a precedent of uh, dishonesty on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I guess I'm the ITK uh, or whatever. Um, it, it was a little bit of a strange one. I, I guess, uh, you know, what is it about a broken clock? Um, but I... Uh, what did you, what do you make of this move now that it's happened, right? Like, and Gareth Bale is going back to Spurs. It's a, it's a year loan. There's no obligation to buy no, like nothing like that tied to this deal. What do you make of, of Bale returning to Spurs? I mean, there's two sides to this transfer. I guess you could say the footballing aspect and the marketing slash nostalgia aspect i guess you could say (laughs) from a from the you know perspective i think of the player it's great he's going somewhere where he is loved unquestionably and thought of fondly uh in in tottenham hospital where he you know really exploded onto the scene seven years ago i think it was um so that's good for him he gets to play hopefully um if he can stay fit of course that's always a, a question with gareth bale but um on the footballing perspective, it's it's kind of a weird one. I mean, they could use more uh, depth and attacking depth for sure. Uh, but again, Bale struggled a lot with injuries. He has a he has a knee injury right now, I believe. Uh, so not even fully fit. I think for the the match today to at least be on the bench. So um, it really comes down to that if he can be healthy enough for selection for for Jose Mourinho and if he can play that that style that Josie's looking for. I, I don't know whether he's a Jose player or not. I mean, I guess we'll see, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag for me. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him that he'll be playing, but not sure that it's uh, necessarily a footballing transfer. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, I think we, I think that's kind of what we spoke about last week. Um, just like the, the fact that it's, 
it is such a, it's a high profile move. Obviously it's, it's being done because his current club wants nothing to do with him. Um, and so I think for those reasons, it, I think we can be rightfully skeptical about like the footballing side, because right. I think this is pretty opportunistic from both Madrid and Tottenham. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a little, you know how I, I, you know how, like when you, maybe when you were a kid and you go on summer break and it takes you like time to get back into like having responsibility and having like school and having to wake up and all this stuff. Yeah. I kind of feel like Gareth Bale might go through a little bit of that at Tottenham because like if the expectation is that he's going to play week in and week out and contribute, having been able to kind of just train and like, but no expectation he's going to play at Madrid, like sit on the bench. He just like watches every game from the sideline. Right. I don't know if there's going to be like a little bit of a like wake up call. Maybe not. I, I don't know if that's the right word or like maybe a little bit of a, um, I guess just like a more of a learning curve in terms of like getting back into being a professional, <laughs> like every yeah. single oh, day. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get I that kind even, of vibe. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that aspect. That's totally true. I mean, there were there were times that Real Madrid would go on the road, whether that's in, in Europe or in La Liga, and he would be he would have permission from the club to stay because to stay at home because he figured why travel? I know I'm not going to be picked. So um that's kind of where they were with that. So yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. It might end up being more of a transition period I guess a longer one than maybe maybe Spurs or or um you know the club are are you know are expecting because he's (laughs) been golfing more than he's been playing football so you know um not trying to shit on his hobbies or whatever but that's just the facts you know yeah (laughs) that's well yeah and I and I think it's I think it's relevant to his ability to contribute early on um, maybe in contrast to other players that may or may not have made transfers and appeared uh, like one training session after, you know, appeared in a premier premier league match, uh, you know, a mm. couple days after their transfer was confirmed, but um, that notwithstanding <laughs> um, the Spurs did some other business from Spain and maybe someone a little bit, more relevant to their needs mm. uh, with another signing from Madrid. Um, tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, they also get uh, Sergio Reguilon, who spent last season on loan with uh, Sevilla, ended up winning the Europa League trophy with Sevilla, had a very successful loan spell, to be fair to him. Um, Reguilon, it was not in Zidane's plans, and in you know, Zidane gets a lot of attention for the way he freezes players out, but I think this one actually makes kind of kind of makes sense um, because Marcelo is still playing. Um, we can debate the merits of that another time, but uh, <laughs> Marcelo is still playing, and, and Ferland Mendy is at Madrid, and he's an excellent player too. Um, so there really just wasn't room for Regulon, I guess, uh, at the Bernabeu. Um, but uh, as as for the player himself. Very, very aggressive player, a progressive passer of the ball. Um, 
you know, a modern fullback in, in most senses of the word, just he likes to win the ball high rather than, you know, defending one-on-one. Um, I think, I think he's a good fit for Spurs. Um, but, uh, of course there's always going to be, I think some, uh, you know, time for the, the player to adjust to the Premier League. Cause, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but I mean, it is a, a faster paced league, a bit more physical than, than what he might be used to in La Liga. And so, um, yeah, I think if I was, if I were a Spurs fan, which I'm absolutely not, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, I would be excited by this signing and, and, uh, you know, I think Manchester United were interested in him and just get Pip to, to the transfer by, by Tottenham. So, um, yeah, he's, he's in London as well with, with Gareth. I think they both came on the same plane actually. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's, a it is another interesting transfer. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like I'm left very curious about where, what the expectation is for Spurs, because I don't know, given, given last season and given the business that they've done, it's like intriguing, but it's not like, it's not solid in the sense that it's, guaranteeing success or anything. Not that any transfer business ever does, but they're not bringing in like crazy established players or anything like that, aside from Gareth Bale, but we already talked about his potential issues. So what's the, for you, like what is Spurs realistic expectation? I know it's odd to ask an Arsenal fan, but like, (laughs) what is the expectation for Spurs this season? Like, do they have to make top four for any of this to to count or is it just like hey let's try to improve on last season i think the expectation is to to make it back into the european places proper um you know it's been well covered that they're playing european europa league qualifiers right now and that i mean you don't want to be going away to locomotive plovda you know in (laughs) in the bulgarian league um and they got away with one there let me tell you yeah uh shout out to uh, locomotive (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, handshake emoji yeah Uh, um yeah no i i think i think they will be trying to get into those champions league places but I, i do understand what you're saying though because you look at the signings and they're not they're not you know statements of intent i guess you could say i mean they bring in pierre milhovier who doesn't you know that's not like a wow blockbuster signing but maybe it's the kind of player that they need um regulon uh again you know has has a lot to prove in his career coming to the premier league of course and maybe not super exciting but maybe one they need and then gareth bale is just like to me kind of an anomaly and an opportunistic signing i guess and um kind of more like, you know, kind of off topic, but like <laughs> ever since we recorded the last podcast, I've watched a little bit of more of all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm starting to see that Daniel Levy very much is interested in building Tottenham's brand. And I think that while that's great because, you know, it can lead to more revenue streams down, you know, in the future and more fans, of course, I hope that they, you know, don't get too far away from the football as we've seen kind of happen at, you know, Manchester United and the like. So um, uh, it's an interesting one for them. I I, I don't know. A lot depends on Jose Mourinho too. If he, 
if he, you know, wears the squat out too early before his, you know, normal three-year collapse, I think those get shorter <laughs> with time. So, um, yeah, I think that's the expectation. But the signings, um, it, it's hard to, I guess it's hard to tell just on the face of it what exactly they're wanting to do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm super intrigued and I could, I could do with another season of all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> just to get how, how Mourinho spins the bail transfer into like something that was his idea. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you could see him doing that, right? <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. Like I, I think, uh, I think that team is kind of a Frankenstein monster right now. Like I think they have a lot, uh, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done to, to turn that into a cohesive squad. Yeah. Um, I think the, the thing that is kind of fortunate for Spurs is that a lot of big clubs in the premier league are currently doing kind of the same thing. Right. Um, you can argue about the, the, the degrees of success with that, I guess, but, but this season will ultimately show, um, and Spurs do get the result this weekend. Although you could point to basically one player <laughs> for most of that. And he's been at the club for a few years now. So, uh, Hyung Pin Son with the five goals against Southampton, but, um, yeah, unbelievable performance, uh, from him. And, and I guess, uh, a, a slight shout out to Harry Kane as well for the assist, but, um, but yeah, Spurs to me remain an anomaly. Uh, and uh, now that we've uh, wet your beak uh, with this little <laughs> bit of footy talk, um, we've got tons more to talk about. We've got the Bundesliga um, with Bayern just absolutely smashing Schalke. We've got a, a lot of notable results in the Premier League, Serie A, and then we've got a, a nice little uh, announcement, I guess, at the end of this, some music, music related talk, and uh, we'll get to all of that after we uh, take a quick break. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Uh, Mika, let's dive into the Bundesliga. They kicked off a little bit earlier, I guess, than everybody else. First match of, uh, of this match week taking place on Friday. Um, Bayern taking on Schalke. Schalke is in a little bit of turmoil at the moment. I know some structure around the club uh, and the their targets for the season. But Bayern go out and absolutely demolish them 8-0. We talked last week about how scary the prospect of Bayern's... This, the, I don't want to even say new-look Bayern, but this refined Bayern... Um, would be and it's looking as scary as advertised for sure um <laughs> Schalke Nouvier, they got completely completely destroyed I think they're going to be trying to battle relegation again this season I don't know that 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 David Wagner weathers this one I feel like being Schalke coach is probably one of the hardest jobs in Europe right now as we saw what happened with with Dominic Tedesco as well um but but Bayern their recruitment is just world-class. I mean, how do you lose Arjen Robin and Frank Ribery 
and just replace them with Serge Gnabry and, and Leroy Sané just like that. And they're ready-made and, and doing all the same things that those two players used to do. And then some um, just, um, they're just so well run. I mean, they, you know, they've got a lot more, uh, more uh, assets about them, I guess you could say <laughs> compared to compared to other teams in the league. And, um, you know, they do tend to kind of harvest all the talent that there is in the Bundesliga and abroad. Um, but uh, yeah, just incredible. They're just built so well. They've got so much depth. There's even young players coming through that are looking really good. Um, and, uh, you know, I doubled down on what I said last time we, we recorded was that they're probably going to win the league at a canter. Yeah. The looking at the spread of goals in this game is like particularly frightening because there's only two 10 minute periods in the game that went without a goal. And that is the 20, the 20th minute to the 29th um, was goalless uh, for Byron and the nine, like the 90th, I guess. Um, So Gnabry hat trick, Goretzka grabs a goal, Lewandowski, Muller, Sané, and Jamal Musiala, the young English Englishman from Byron's Academy, even gets in on the act. And it there's something that's so frightening about I, I think I think Schalke is I think in a normal season this is a this is seen as a competitive match and seen as kind of a marquee matchup. Um, because Schalke regularly competing for a champions league place like that, that sort of level, I think it's important to highlight that this is not the Schalke that is currently like, this is not the current edition of Schalke. They're not a, as you said, like they're going to be battling relegation. Likely the structure around the club is changing. Um, their targets are changing. The investment is vastly reduced. So there's a lot of things that may potentially make this result like a little inflated, I guess in some ways, because maybe the fight in Schalke is, is changing, but I don't think anything changes about the fact that Bayern create eight big chances in this game, which is insane. Like from a, from any type of statistical perspective, that's just like absolutely nuts. Um, and despite the fact that they're not going to roll every team over by eight goals, um, they showed just a few weeks ago that they can do it to Barcelona. So like they are capable of doing this to anybody, um, in Europe at the moment, I think maybe there's a few exceptions out there. Um, but if you, if you come into a match against Bayern at all, like off your game, you could walk away with just an absolute beating. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I think that they can possibly go for another treble. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, uh, it's, it's, it's scary. And, and Schalke have uh Werder Bremen next, who I th- believe got a result this week. So I don't, I don't see it getting any easier for them in, in the short term. Um, but, but I mean, as you said, lots of things are changing at Schalke and they, they, you know, to be fair to them, they have a couple big players out. Salif Sané had a meniscus injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Matias Nastasic is not yet back. Uh, you know, two big defenders for them. Um, Gonzalo Paciencia is a new signing from, I think Frankfurt. So, yeah. you know, I mean, 
everyone, I think everyone at every club is kind of going through a lot of the same or similar problems, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic and what have you, but you know, how they're, how each club manages that is obviously very different. And so um, something's got to give at Schalke. That's for sure. There were lots of interesting results, I think around the Bundesliga this whole weekend. Um, And you can point to a few, I think like Bielefeld getting a point, off Frankfurt mm. in their first game back in the Bundesliga. Um, like there were a bunch of comeback wins, a lot of goals. Um, and obviously your, your, unfortunately your Mönchengladbach, uh, suffering defeat at the hands of Dortmund. But one of the things that I think ties a couple of things together today is, um, both RB Leipzig and, uh, Bayer Leverkusen were in action today um, on the same day that Kai Havertz and, and Timo Werner turned out for Chelsea um, kind of highlighting the big absences and RB Leipzig took on Mainz and didn't look any worse for wear uh, right. minus their star striker. Meanwhile, Leverkusen labor to a nil nil draw. Do you think that either do you think the Timo Werner, despite the fact that I think he's seen as maybe the more, uh, more of a star right now, uh, versus Kai Havertz, like kind of the rising star, do you think Leverkusen is going to feel Havertz's absence more than Leipzig will feel Werner's absence or vice versa? Like, who do you think is affected more this season? I think that Bayer Leverkusen for sure are affected more simply because RB Leipzig have been planning for Timo Werner to leave. I mean, last season they re-upped his contract to protect that value. So, you know, they've been thinking about this for a while, especially when, when Bayern Munich started sniffing around at potentially buying him. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I mean, it's no secret that he, they've got an excellent talent pipeline in the Red Bull system. Um, you know, they can just get, get players from, uh, Red Bull Salzburg and, uh, God, they're, they're like Academy team in the Austrian league is escaping me right now. Leaf, Leafering, I think. Yeah. Leafering. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, they're, they're, this is their model. They were always going to sell Timo Werner and replace him, you know? So I, I don't think that they'll struggle nearly as much. And and they brought in Huang Hee Chan, who already mm-hmm. has a goal and assist in the DFB Pokal and um, looks like a very, very good player. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think that they'll be okay. Bayer Leverkusen, on the other hand, while they do have a, a good, a good Academy, um, I don't think that they're, their infrastructure is quite like the Red Bull infrastructure, uh, to put it lightly. They did sign Patrick Schick, who actually had a very good loan spell at, at RB Leipzig. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, he didn't make an impact today. I don't think he started, to be fair. But uh, it's going to be hard replacing almost two goal involvements per game in in what they had from, from Kai Havertz. So, so, yeah, I think Leverkusen are going to feel that a, a bit more. Um, you know, they, they're a pretty rich club, very <laughs> disliked in Germany. Um, <laughs> but I think eventually they'll be okay, but I think that it's going to hurt in the, in the short term for sure. Yeah. That I, I think like, I, I think what you said, Leipzig, uh, kind of pipeline and their just their overall approach has been, they have a little bit better base. I think, uh, like obviously Werner took them to the heights of like, 
perennial Champions League qualification. And like they even pushed Bayern a couple seasons ago, like for a potential title race. And a lot of that was down to Timo Werner taking them from like a Champions League qualifying team to like maybe a title team. Um, Leverkusen, I think, are on paper look like a very good side. Like the player, when I look at the lineup, I'm like, this should be better than what it is. Like, sure. um, Kareem Bellarabi is, has like broken through, you know, years and years ago. He's been at the club now for a long time. They bought Demir by a couple of years ago from Hoffenheim. He's, he's a very good player. Arangis has been, <laughs> has been like anchoring, Arangis. has been anchoring that midfield for the better part of like a decade, I think. Yeah. Um, Sinkgraven has shown like a lot of flashes at left back as being kind of like a more advanced player. Top Soba is like a very, a very highly rated young defender. Um, Musa Diaby even as a left winger, like he's a very, he's a very talented player, looks the part. But in terms of production, Leverkusen, I think, have always lacked like a little bit of that edge, except when two people are on the field, Kevin Folland and Kai Averts. And between the two they of also them, sold. Yeah, <laughs> they're both right. gone. And so the nil nil against Wolfsburg, like I'm not saying that it was nailed on or anything like that. And they could easily find goal scoring forms somewhere throughout the season. But if I was a betting man, which I'm not, um, because <laughs> I'm a terrible, I'm a, I'm terrible with predictions, but if I had to bet the score of this game before I would, I'd have bet nil, nil like, okay, that would have been my thought only because Leverkusen just don't have that cutting edge. Whereas the goal scorers for Leipzig today, <laughs> two very familiar names to RB Leipzig followers, fans, whatever. Emil Forsberg, who's been at the club for a number of years, and Yusuf Polson, who was playing for them in like the third division, like Great when player. he first joined the club, um, the Danish striker. So like they have had, you know, these players for a long time. They've been effective with these players kind of throughout. Um, and so despite the fact that they are now missing their like top goal scorer, I think they'll certainly see an impact in, you know, there's going to be a, a few tough games this season where they really miss a player like Timo Werner. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's possible to not. I just think the bones of the team, like lend themselves to a little bit better, outcomes in terms of like their ability to be more consistently dangerous. Whereas Leverkusen's baseline is just kind of flat sometimes compared. So uh, I, I, think, I don't know. I, yeah. I think we have to also acknowledge who coaches RB Leipzig, you know, Julian Nagelsmann is, is the next one. He's, I mean, he's probably already there <laughs> as a, as an elite coach. Um, you know, given what he did with RB Leipzig in the Champions League last season. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, Peter Bosch is an interesting one because he plays very, like, reckless, abandoned, attacking football. And, and at, at Ajax, that was, you know, fun to watch. And he's had mixed results in, in the Bundesliga. 
obviously I think with Dortmund and, and now at Leverkusen. So I think, I think Leverkusen are going to need to make more signings, obviously. Um, they've lost a ton of goals, um, <laughs> but uh, also it, it's up to, to Bosch not to screw this up again, you know, cause that he didn't have a good time uh, at his last club. And uh, yeah, he's going to have to, they have a lot of good defensive pieces there. And I think he needs to just be able to utilize those a little bit better and not concede as much as, as Peter Bosch teams do. So, <laughs> Yeah. The Bundesliga, I, I think for all the talk of Bayern and the fact that they, they likely will walk away with the title. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Bundesliga still provides a lot in terms of uh, entertainment week to week. Um, as is evidenced by the amount of goals that are, that are scored throughout the, throughout the league. Um, and, uh, these type of storylines I think are very intriguing. Um, cause a lot of For these sure. managers have a lot of history, I would say with, with the league and different teams throughout the league. So yeah, Peter Bosch, uh, definitely cuts a little bit of a, interesting figure <laughs> across a few different For clubs, sure. um, in Germany, but, um, but yeah, the Bundesliga off to, off to a very, very interesting start. Um, and, uh, we'll definitely be following, uh, with interest. Um, the, I mean, we mentioned the two high profile moves to England, uh, from Germany. So I think we may as well follow suit and make our way to, discuss the premier league and a little bit of what, what went on this weekend. Um, one of the first games of the weekend was the new look Everton versus West Bromwich Albion and, uh, a five, two win for the toffees. And as a Liverpool fan, obviously I normally don't give much credit to, to Everton and they're pretty <laughs> much just a banter club, but like, is this addition of Everton with Ancelotti at the helm and uh, adding James Rodriguez now to this, to this setup, are they the real deal or was West Brom just a soft touch this weekend? Oh, I, I, I think that West Brom are very poor. I don't see them. uh, I think they're going straight back down. Honestly, I just don't see enough about them uh, compared to to the the other teams in the league, um, and, and I hesitate, I guess, to say that Everton are for real. They are certainly a different prospect this season. They've completely rebuilt their midfield. They got it. They've gotten a world class coach. It has to be said in Carlo Ancelotti, and yeah. and uh, you know, the Hamas Rodriguez signing is to me a, a statement of intent. I guess you could say in that. And that they are trying to be a, I mean, cause people often ask about Everton, what is their point? Like, what are they trying yeah. <laughs> to do? Are they just trying to be seventh every year, you know? And uh, right. I think with, with some of the signings they made this year, they're, I think they're telling the league that they they want more than that. And uh, Farad Mashiri is, is notorious for, wanting you know kind of like glamorous signings through the door and and while Hamas is glamorous I think it also fills a need for them in terms of having that that uh that number 10 who you can really build around I mean 
Everton have collected number 10s over the years, but none yeah. with with the quality that he does. And I think you saw that, that he's still very much a quality player just because he didn't, uh, you know, fit in with Zidane's side at, at Madrid and, and you know, wasn't made a permanent deal at, at, at Bayern doesn't mean that he's not. I still think he is, you know, world-class and it, he just needs a team to be built around him. And I think that Ancelotti is more than willing to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't want to say you know, they're going to make Europe or anything, but certainly a different, they're asking different questions this year. Yeah. And, and I think watching that game, I think you see the impact of Ancelotti in particular in the fact that they go behind. (laughs) Um, And they, I think it would be easy to imagine Everton teams of the past playing a team that is, you know, in many ways inferior to them. Right. But mentally not being able to handle going behind or n- n- like dealing with that that side of things where there's this expectation now around the club because of the signings that have been made and having Ancelotti, I think it would have been easy for the team to kind of lie down and be like, oh my God, like we're blowing it <laughs> right, <laughs> against West right. Brom. But they bounce back. They eventually do. I think... I think obviously the sending off like has a lot to say about um, about how the game goes. Kieran Gibbs sent off. It's a little bit. It's like a borderline red for me. I I think it's a dumb move from Kieran Gibbs. I did see a couple of jokes about uh, that about Alex Oxlade Chamberlain being shown the red card instead um, (laughs) after his mistaken identity uh, all those years ago, Um, but. For me, the the one area of concern that remains, because obviously goal scoring, I don't think is going to be necessarily a problem for this team. I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin has shown that he's not like it, it wasn't just like a fluke that he got goals. He he's going to score goals this season. Richarlison like didn't have his best game ever, but he'll likely score goals as well. And James Rodriguez on the score sheet. So I think they're going to score. My all of my doubts about Everton reside defensively. And I think that Mm -hmm. I think that exists for a lot of Premier League teams right now. I think when we get to Chelsea, it's the same thing. When we talk about United, it's the same thing. Um, Arsenal, unfortunately, like defensively, it's the the same question marks. Um, So that's to me. I, I don't think Pickford is a particularly good goalkeeper especially not with the with the attack that they have and i have serious like reservations about their their back line so i think everton are the real deal in the sense that i think they are going to be entertaining which mm-hmm. is a change for them like they haven't often been entertaining unless you just enjoy like the schadenfreude of watching <laughs> them suffer like that's which I, mean, I which Wayne I do. Rooney scored that one like long ranger, but other than that, I couldn't yeah. tell you what the hell Everton <laughs> have done in the last five years, honestly. <laughs> so I worry for that because I do think they're going to have a few games where they kind of where they drop points where they shouldn't, um, or mm-hmm. where an Ancelotti team might not in the past. Um, and so I I think they're the real deal in the sense that I think they'll score goals. Um, but I don't, I don't know that they're a threat uh, to like the established 
you know, top. Sure. Maybe, maybe they can work their way into top six, but I think it's going to take more. It's going to be more about someone failing, I guess, or someone like, you know, dropping out than about them kind of like forcing their way in. Cause I think, mm. I think they may beat these bad teams or these lower tier teams. Um, but I think they'll struggle against, against kind of the top sides. Well, I'll tell you what, this is the first season in a while that I'm, that I'm actually interested in a Merseyside Derby. So <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Um, speaking of Liverpool's rivals while we're on the topic, um, Crystal Palace, uh, get one over Manchester United three, one Roy Hodgson, uh, do <laughs> getting one over Ole Gunnar, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Oh my God. Why did I even attempt that? <laughs> uh, Ollie anyways, um, he, so United, uh, yeah, drop points, um, and question marks kind of already rising around this team that was, you know, finished in the Champions League places last year. And the expectation after the way they finished last season was they're going to carry on from there. It, the cracks are starting to show, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to make of Manchester United right now. I mean, first of all, I, I, a lot is being talked about in terms of how they lost, but Crystal Palace played very well. Um, you know, Wolf Zaha scored fantastic goal uh and and to me honestly Roy Hodgson is one of the most disrespected managers I think in the Premier League I think he's done incredible with with Palace and that ancient squad honestly (laughs) and and Wilfred Zaha who is obviously still wanting to leave um I mean they were even criticizing Roy Roy Hodgson for giving him the captain's armband for this game um which you know I kind of understand that but Hey, maybe, you know, clearly it worked out. Um, and, and, um, you, you know, they go up to Manchester and do this often. I yeah. mean, they beat city, at, you know, at the Etihad last year, that ridiculous Townsend screamer Townsend scores in this, this game as well. Um, so, so, so palace played well. Um, but, but yeah, back to United, I, they keep getting pipped to their transfer targets by other clubs they're, you know, playing around with this Jaden Sancho thing. I, I mean, we spoke about it last time. You need to just pay what's being asked or, or forget about it. And and honestly, Sancho looks like he's happy at Dortmund. I don't think he's necessarily, you know, pressing the club to move. Um, Donny van de Beek, I think, is an excellent signing. And I think they got him at a cut rate price, honestly. I think he's worth double what they paid. Um, and he scores, so that's nice. He gets off the mark, but um, yeah, there. The, <laughs> I think I think Ole definitely wants a left back still. Uh, I think he wants another center back because any partner they have for Harry Maguire to me is just not good enough. I've never been convinced by um, Eric Bailly necessarily, uh, or the the Lindelof. Lindelof, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never been convinced by either of them. Um, and so, you know, for a club of their size and of their apparent, uh, you know, what they want to be doing, which is, which is actually winning trophies that those two are not good enough. Um, so, but you know, it, it's been reported that they are inept in the transfer market and <laughs> in, in how they deal with, with agents and things like that. Um, at, at least as compared to other clubs, I mean, make of that what you will, it could just be 
um, you know, speculation, but I would not doubt it just going off of, of kind of the business they done or haven't done. Yeah. This, this performance and, and, you know, I hate to draw any parallels between like Liverpool and United, but this particular performance where United had loads of the ball, didn't do a thing with it basically for 90 minutes. Um, and palace were extremely efficient hit United on the break, like created actually one more chance than United did with only 25% possession. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Brendan Rogers, Liverpool teams, like, like post the title challenge, like 2014, uh, 15, the year after that was like the hallmark of his side where we go out, they'd go out, they'd have the ball like 70, 75% of the time and do absolutely nothing with it and get beat three nil by West Ham or whatever, you know, like that was the, that was the, just the way that that system, it just didn't function correctly. Um, and I think, I think United relied obviously last season on, um, the emergence of Mason Greenwood, which is going, there's going to be like a little bit of a regression, um, just statistically speaking, like he's not going to score at the rate that he was scoring. I don't know that it's like sustainable at all. Um, his off pitch activities recently have been, uh, yeah, not (laughs) great attention away from the pitch. So (laughs) great. So I think, I think United, I think it's going to take a lot of time. And I still don't think, as you said, like with all of the stuff kind of surrounding this squad, it's certainly not like a settled article. It's not like, Oh, this is the team that is going to bring United forward. I think a lot of the players on the team are like with like maybe three exceptions are looking over their shoulder. Like, am I about to like, are they trying to buy someone to replace me? Like that's, Mm. (laughs) that's, that's a lot of what's going on. Um, because I just feel like, you know, United is linked with like so many players. (laughs) Um, and, and at the moment, um, they just don't, they just don't look. And I, and I think it's worth mentioning too, that towards the end of last season, they were overperforming their expected goals by like, a lot. Um, and it was, you know, some of it was the penalties. Some of it was ridiculous finishing like Greenwood in particular was, he's was lethal. Um, Greenwood scores like statistically improbable goals. Yeah. <laughs> like, that that's literally his game. At right. least it was last season. So, right. yeah. So I think, I think it's normal to expect that there's going to be again, another regression to the mean, like the eventually, you're going to stop overperforming like Mm. that significantly. Um, And they're going to have to create more to be able to be the team that they want to be. So that's, that's what it, what it came down to for me. And, and as you said, like credit to palace for putting in the performance they did. And Wilfred Zaha was unbelievable. Like he was fantastic throughout so um and it wasn't just like oh he scored or whatever like man of the match he was he was brilliant absolutely 
Yeah, I mean, hey, if if I'm his representative, I'm telling him to just focus on your football. Keep doing that week in and week out. And if you want to leave, somebody will come for you. Yeah. So. Yeah, it 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 was a big result, certainly um, for Palace, and and a and maybe a little bit of a a wake up call to United. Um, but uh, then Mika, we had we had Arsenal little bit of a test this week. So first week they, they kind of rolled Fulham over, but they go to West Ham little bit of a little bit of a struggle, Mm. but Arsenal find a way to win. Is this a indication that, you know, Arsenal maybe are not as like set up as people say, or Mm -hmm. is it an indication maybe that Arsenal are going to get some of the tough wins that they didn't get in these like past couple of seasons? I think, uh, I mean, a bit of both, honestly, Uh, this is a game that we draw under Unai Emery, honestly. Um, And I think there is something to be said for, for getting a win when you probably don't deserve it. Um, At least not fully Uh, West Ham, they definitely gave us a game unlike Fulham. Uh, Jared Bowen was kind of a nightmare <laughs> to deal with. Mikel Antonio completely bodied Rob Holding for, for their goal. Um, and, and I think this game really showed how crucial Kieran Tierney's become to the side uh, because a lot of our, our play obviously goes down the left with, with, with Tierney and Aubameyang down that flank. He, you know, misses out um, at match time, really, uh, with some discomfort, I think, in his knee or, or hamstring or something. Hopefully nothing serious. But, I mean, he does miss out at the last minute. And we need to put on sale Kolasinac, who is one of the highest paid players at the squad and does not does not <laughs> live up <laughs> to that wage. You know, he came on a freeze, so that's, that's why that is. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Some of the same problems are still there, despite, you know, the end to our our season uh, last season, which is that we desperately need a creative midfielder, um, somebody who can carry the ball. We haven't I mean, all of our players like that have left, you know, um, Jack Wilshire, Kozoyla. Rosicki. I mean, we've never really replaced them. And and Mesut Ozil is not getting into the side like don't know why Lee Dixon decided to ask on the broadcast. Wonder where he is. Like, can we not talk about this? Like, hey, bro, <laughs> read the fucking room. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh. so yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously happy with the result, but I understand, you know, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans understand that this is very much a work in progress. And uh, I mean, we just, this game was screaming for Husamawa. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, so get it done. I do. I, I was, I was, uh, I was going to add, I've seen tons of, of propaganda around about our, uh, potentially joining. And there's been talk from, uh, from Aulis as well. The, Mm. the president of, of Olympic, Olympic, uh, Lyonnais. So yeah, I mean, that could be a good sign or a bad one, I guess. Like, uh, the last time Liverpool did business with Leon, it was Fakir and it was a done deal until it wasn't. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as long as he doesn't have any dodgy knee surgeries, he should be fine. (laughs) We hope so. And, and, you know, like getting off topic, but I've, I've read that the Fakir thing was yes about the knee, but also the fact that he like desperately wanted Liverpool to sign his brother. And they were like, 
nah. <laughs> uh, because Betis did sign his brother wow. as part of the deal, um, which... Uh, I hadn't heard that that yeah. uh, that detail. That's pretty wild. Yeah, so... <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like Tim Pot, if you think about it. Like, we're here for you. Like, And his brother's, like, not at that level whatsoever. But he, he is on Betis' books, so... Because um, you know, people were asking why would he go to that club? It's a step down. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. De- you know, dealing with Leon is always an interesting one because Aula loves loves to talk. I mean, he wouldn't shut up at all during the Lacazette deal. Mm-hmm. Um, which for me, I I always take that to mean that the deal is like happening. Right. If he can't stop talking, so I think Aula is is a possibility, but it's going to be a significant outlay. Um, yeah. 60 million euros, something of that sort. I think he's worth it. I think we desperately need a player of that profile. So again, someone who can dribble and, and carry the ball because Denny Ceballos is not that. Grant Chaka is definitely not that. Uh, Ganduzi, who knows if he stays or goes. Right. Rosso, need I say more? I mean, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. For Lee Dixon, you need say more. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> oh my god! But Arsenal off to a winning start now, uh, and and two wins, two wins to start the season. So a nice little boost for for Mikel Arteta and company. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they deal with um, this this period because. It is, you know, like we talked about for a lot of the teams in the Premier League and maybe a lot of teams just throughout world football. There's so many teams going through this transition and it's so fascinating to watch how each of them are handling this. You know, I'm loathe to say unprecedented times, um, but (laughs) it's it's just like that. That really is what's going on. It's like what what is their response going to be like? And what is, what does it look like? You know, the, what does the finished article look like? Is it, is it, you know, um, like title challenge? Like, where's the, like, where's the plan fully come together? Um, and it's very, very interesting and fascinating to watch it kind of from its, from its origins now, um, into what it could, potentially become and let's be let's face it like every single team in the premier league has faced a tough away day um you know maybe it was west ham maybe it wasn't but i know that liverpool in the london stadium has had to you know come back a couple of times and fight through the adversity so it's certainly not foreign even to those teams with the finished uh with the finished product absolutely yeah west ham actually i i think that they will struggle actually i i before the season predicted that they wouldn't win any of their opening seven because they've got a horrible schedule yeah um and there's just a lot of turmoil at that club as well but who knows we'll see well moving across london um to chelsea uh chelsea liverpool played today in the uh you know not to again, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but like the bit, the biggest match of the weekend in terms of a, a club that is uh, up and coming in its profile, uh, you know, kind of returning to where they were um, over the last couple of, of decades uh, with Chelsea and then Liverpool, obviously top of the pile at the moment. Um, I'll get my points about Liverpool out of the way 
right up front very quickly so that we can focus on something else. If you want to listen to Liverpool stuff, <laughs> I have a podcast for that. Uh, two red gringos. So uh, Mane <laughs> is one of the best players in the world. And I think it is just like something that we need to all come to terms with. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Fabinho had a really good performance at center back and seeing Tiago in a red shirt, just passing the ball around the park in the second half, um, even with Chelsea down to 10 men was felt like a dream um, and felt like something that would, you know, be the, the final straw before the aliens come forward and are like, okay, the simulation is over. <laughs> it had a good run. Like this has all been fake. Um, but yeah, Tiago being in, in Liverpool red just seemed absolutely unbelievable and those are my thoughts about liverpool so liverpool get the 2-0 win lampard's chelsea what does this result if anything i mean does the red card nullify like can we draw any conclusions from about chelsea from this result but or is it like this shows the gap like what is your thought about lampard's chelsea after this loss to Liverpool at the bridge? Uh, I think that they're very much a work in progress. They've got a lot of new toys to play with, obviously have a huge outlay in this transfer window. And, you know, uh, it's good. You know, you can buy all the pieces, but you have to make them fit. Um, And and so it, for me, it looks like Chelsea have kind of like a three-year plan going with, with Frank Lampard. And that first year it was about, you know, stabilizing the squad, introducing uh, young players because they had to with the transfer ban. And, um, and I think, I think there was a lot of goodwill in in Frank Lampard's account because the fans understood that, that he was kind of limited in that way. Um, Plus the fact that he is a club legend. So those two things, I think, you know, afforded him some patience, I guess you could say. Um, this season, it's about invest. I don't know that that Roman Abramovich has, has told Frank Lampard, you need to win a trophy this season or else. Uh, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like this season is very much about investing and, and putting the pieces together. And then next season looks like it could be, you know, let's let's win trophies now. No excuses. Um, that's what it looks like to me, logically speaking. Now, Chelsea fans might not see it that way. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that Frank Lampard's goodwill goes as far this season because he doesn't have that same excuse about, you know, I'm playing with a lot of young players and which is so that whole thing is so funny to me too, because Arsenal had a younger squad on average yeah. <laughs> for a lot of the season <laughs> and you never narratives are a crazy thing, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, just a, a work in progress. I, I really didn't see, I didn't think before this match that Chelsea would get something out of it. Honestly, um, Liverpool are still one of the best teams in Europe and in the world. Um, I mean, Andreas Christensen clown like, <laughs> panic tackle, um, you know, literally, you know, wraps his arms around Sadio Mane's shoulders and it's a red like every day of the week. Keparita Balaga. Uh, what has, you know, what can I say about him that hasn't already been said? I do feel sorry for this man, like mm-hmm. <laughs> to cost as much as you did. I'm sure that that plays on your mind. And then to just have the horrific season that you did. And and that continues today with a terrible mistake um, 
to, you know, to kick the ball right at Sadio Mane. Don't, I mean, he needs to move. Like he needs, I, I don't think that, I don't think it's going to get better magically. Right. Um, you know, Frank Lampard claims he's happy with him, but I think he's just trying to take the pressure off him a little bit. But I mean, Edouard Mendy looks like he's coming in from Stalini. So, uh, yeah, they need to be they need to be ruthless in that regard. I think Eva is is could probably do with a. I don't know who would who could pay for him, but maybe like a loan to to a, a Spanish side or some somewhere where he can just focus on his football and getting back to his best because I think he is a good player. Mm-hmm. But to have a save percentage of like fifty something, that I mean, that's just simply not good enough. Yeah. For the Premier League or really any serious professional league, honestly. <laughs> I mean, even in USL, that might be pretty shocking. Um, so lot yeah, lots lots to to look at there at Chelsea. it's gonna be a very interesting season for sure. I think we I think we joked that Keppa like I we've joked previously that Keppa is the Basque Mignolet. Um <laughs> I now think that Keppa is the Basque Carius, unfortunately. And I Ouch. say that I say that not because of like, oh, like he's making these mistakes or whatever, like he sucks. Um I say that simply because I think mentally there's something that goes wrong. Like if if mm. in certain keepers like when they make these high profile mistakes or they become this like scapegoat, um, it, it is shattering. Like, and I think, I think so much of what keepers do is based on a confidence because, you know, they're not playing like uh, there are obviously managers that use keepers within a system. Like there, there are, you know, they involve them in the passing or they involve them in the buildup, whatever, however you want to say, but ultimately goalkeeping itself is not part of a formation. It's not part of a system that a manager puts out or whatever. And there are so many excuses that can be made and I'm not saying they're not valid, but there are so many excuses that can be made for outfield players when things aren't going right. Like we talk about confidence a lot for strikers and stuff like that, but, and you know, obviously it's like there's an onus on them to score goals, but there's also a responsibility for them to be played like in a role that suits them. And, you know, do they play well in a two or should they be up top by themselves? Like, should they be playing with like wingers or should they be playing with more like attacking midfield? There's all these things that can contribute to a striker being like out of favor or out of, you know, not performing up to their level. If a keeper is out of form or not performing the way that they are expected to, it's pretty much just on them. Like there is no, you can't say like, Oh, he's being played out of position or whatever. Like that's not like, Oh, we should play him with, in a two he looks like he is <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> like oh we should play him in a two like you know maybe with another set of hands back there like they'd be good or whatever you know like that's kind of my 
that's kind of my, my thought is like for these guys, there is nowhere to hide. Like there is nowhere there. It isn't, you can't just go out and say like, oh, I'm just not really feeling, you know, I have been going through a dry spell and I'm working on it in training or whatever. Like it's really just not good enough. Most of the time, if you're conceding soft goals and there's no way to dress it up other than like, I am not playing well enough. And I think it, I think it just gets, it's a potential like worm that just crawls into their brain and takes over. Um, and I don't think between criticism that is certainly coming from his teammates in terms of like in the moment where they're calling for him, I think there's some, you know, there's some videos out there too, since the return to play of him getting yelled at by like his center backs and stuff. And between all of this, like all of that criticism from the fans, maybe his own teammates, his, his, I'm sure his coaching staff is like trying to like get him through this. Um, and then the, you know, the media, obviously on top of all that, I just, I just think right now, Kepa, like you said, I think he needs a move. Cause I don't, I don't think he'll ever be normal at Chelsea. Like, in this current situation. Like, I don't think he'll ever get back to the player that they bought. Sure. Those years ago. It's such a shame because (laughs) when he was coming through athletics, world famous Cantera, his, they always talked about his calm back there and how, how he instills confidence in his back line. And that's just a far cry from the player we see today. This is a player that Real Madrid were trying to bring in mid season to replace champions league winning Keylor Navas. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to, to go from that to gifting goals and, and shipping goals from outside the box feeling, it feels like every week Yeah, is yeah. Uh, and, and I, I highly doubt Frank Lampard wants to keep fielding questions about it. <laughs> I doubt the club want this kind of attention, um, which I mean, it's going to come. You paid the release clause for him because athletic right. don't sell players. You no. pay the release clause or, you know, piss off. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's, it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, between him and De Gea, Spain is probably like, bruh, like who, <laughs> who is trying to like play goalkeeper rest? Cause I mean, there are a lot of good Spanish goalkeepers, but they're the only two that are like arguably elite. But right now, neither of them, you know, neither of them seem up for it. Yeah. They're digging for some Spanish ancestry and like Nick Pope's. <laughs> Nick Pope's <laughs> family or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, hey, Gaeta is really good for Crystal Palace, but True. maybe not Spanish national team good. True. So. <laughs> well, um, that about that that wraps up the big results. There were there were a few throughout the Premier League this weekend, and I think I think the I think the the big mark on the wall right now for everyone in the Premier League is the City Wolves game coming up because. Mm. I think that will say a lot about not only uh city and, you know, a potential title race and kind of how that's all going to shake out over the course of out of the course of this year, but wolves as well. Um, now, obviously uh, minus uh, Diogo Jota who just joined Liverpool as well, but, um, but wolves, you know, had pushed into Europe 
Um, and now it's, can they push on uh, and do something more? I think every team uh, basically from one to 10 is like, can we somehow break into that top four champions league or whatever? And, uh, and wolves have been a force the last few, the last couple of seasons since they've been up. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, match up with city, uh, especially given that wolves, beat city twice last season, um, which is pretty wild. Um, obviously (laughs) city losing games is pretty odd in the last few years anyways. Um, so for a team to do the double over them, quite the accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. That's why that game is on a Monday is beyond me, but (laughs) I'm sure Christian, if he's listening to this is feeling the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I think it's time we take another quick break. And when we get back, we'll, uh, talk the, the best dressed manager in football and, uh, and our sounds of the season Spotify playlist coming up, but, uh, we'll first take a quick break. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Mika, we had the debut, the managerial debut of one of the best looking managers in in world football. I mean, he was well known for his style as a player. Mm. Came out, you knew that he was going to be rocking like the finely tailored Italian suit. (laughs) Andrea Pirlo, uh, the manager now of Juventus. Um, he takes over. It was his first first game in charge and oversees a 3-0 win over Sampdoria. Maybe doesn't tell the whole story. What did you make of, of Pirlo's managerial debut in Italy? Well, the way that the team lined up is certainly different from what um, Maurizio Sarri team will line up as, I mean, anyone who's watched Chelsea or Napoli or or last season's Juventus knows that he almost exclusively used the 4-3-3. This one was like a 3-5-2, I guess you could say more, you know, with Ramsey kind of having a free roll across that front line and, and, and Cristiano Ronaldo a little bit more central. Uh, So it looked different for sure. Um, Andrea Pirlo was very kind of reserved on the touchline, not not too much gesticulating or, or shouting that I could that I could pick up on. Um, but uh, you know, they they get the three 0 win. But I think that the I think the scoreline flatters to deceive because Sampdoria, I think they lost because they don't have the same quality on the pitch. Not necessarily because they played poorly. I mean, there were some shocking <laughs> defensive uh, sequences for them for sure. Uh, especially on Bonucci's goal when um, Barasensky, I think is his name, forgot to to clear the ball like defenders should do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't think that this is anything you can draw a lot of immediate conclusions from because um, it's Sampdoria, not trying to be disrespectful, but this is a team that I think will be, again, 
fighting to to stay in in Serie A in the top flight. And so, so yeah, um, Juve have uh, have a visit to Paulo Fonseca's Roma, and then they are hosting Napoli. So I think we'll learn more from those matches. To be fair, yeah, the thing that that again. And this is like maybe a common theme throughout. Um, but the thing watching this, I wasn't in, I wasn't like greatly impressed by Juve's. It didn't seem like they were ever really in control. Like they score the opening goal, but there were a lot of moments where it seemed kind of like in the balance. It was, they weren't really asserting themselves on the game so much as kind of relying on their quality to just kind of bring them through. There wasn't Mm. maybe, and maybe that I think for me, that's more troubling um, because with a new manager, I think the idea that his system is not going to maybe be like the focus, but instead the, the individuals are going to be the focus. Like that could be a real problem. I think for Juve because they have plenty of talented players, but, you know, relying solely on their individual strength rather than emphasizing the strengths with the system. That's, kind of the oldest tale um, in terms of, you know, talented teams falling apart. So it was, I think a little troubling that they couldn't assert themselves over a team like Sampdoria because, and I know it's strange to say in the wake of a three, no win, but it really could have been like three, three, like on a Mm. different day. Um, Sampdoria created like, actually some decent chances. Uh, I, you know, remember a couple Gaston Ramirez had like a couple of chances late on quietly, quietly like put himself about when he came on. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that maybe is more troubling for me. Cause I think Juve they didn't obviously didn't play their best game and maybe things will grow with time. But I think if there's any game where you have an opportunity to kind of just trot to a win maybe like and the system's just too good this is kind of that type of game and it wasn't that straightforward I don't think yeah yeah I agree with that um I don't think that Andrea Pirlo's aim is to rely on the quality I think I mean his thesis came out on the internet this week about how he likes to play football I haven't had a chance to to read it yet but um from what I can gather it's very much a of being on the front foot and, and, you know, playing out from the back, you know, very modern football that he's looking to play. So I think he will, um, you know, try to impose a style on Juve. And it, and it seems like Juve in general have been moving towards that kind of modern um, way of playing, a more aesthetically pleasing way of playing that you might not have seen under Antonio Conte or, or um, oh my goodness, I'm totally forgetting his name, but he's been out of work now. And he was at Juve for a while. Um, <laughs> brain fart. Anyway, so so yeah, I think that that's what they tried to do with with Mauricio Sarri, and I just mm-hmm. it just didn't work out. Um, and I think with Pirlo, I think they're gonna expect him to to bring a style to Juve, an attacking style. But it's still just such a weird one to me, just because of his lack of experience. Um, 
I mean, Juve are desperate to win the Champions League and you bring in uh, a coach that has no experience. And I, I mean, for a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, what, what must he be thinking? He's not, I don't think he was sold a project. You know what I mean? Right. And this appointment feels like a project appointment, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you could argue Mikel Arteta's appointment is very much in that that vein, but right. it's an odd one. Um, and I think that's the reason why I said last week that that if anyone, if any of the juggernauts are going to fall in the league this season, it might be Juve because they might be just really putting all their eggs in the Champions League basket and uh, trying to win that one because they've spent significant money to to hopefully get their hands on the cup with the big ears. So <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, Juve is a weird one. I will be really trying to pay attention to their season and see how it goes. I think Inter, I might catch them slipping. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring out kind of the project appointment because Pirlo totally does have that feel of, you know, he's not the type of guy that you bring in to win right now. Um, I think we've seen those appointments, especially from these like super clubs, you know, these, these clubs that have asserted their dominance, they're not hiring like former players or whatever, you know, in their first managerial managerial job, I guess. Well, except for Zidane. I don't know. Maybe Zidane's different. They are, but they have experience. Zidane right. was coaching Castilla. Right. Frank Lampard was coaching Derby County. Yeah. Arteta was Pep's assistant. I mean, you know what I right. mean? These are defensible. Right. <laughs> These are defensible appointments in a way that Andrea Pirlo is not. And the coach I was thinking of was Max Allegri. I can't believe I yeah, forgot yeah, his yeah. name. Oh, that's right. But, uh, I guess I guess I'm thinking like, you know, like Bayern Munich. Mm. They wanted to win the Champions League. Like they hire Pep Guardiola. Like, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. like right. that's the level that they went to or whatever. So Juve going to going from like, and I, and I get like, you know, I guess definition of insanity, all that stuff. They hired like pr- very prominent Italian manager after Italian manager. They just went from like this guy's one stuff to that guy's one stuff to this guy's one stuff. And they couldn't get over that champions league hurdle. So, I mean, maybe the thought is that is that it's a shakeup and it's something different. It'll be interesting to see what Pirlo actually is able to do. Um, but an interesting name, literally an interesting name on the score sheet, uh, Dejan Kuluševski, I believe, um, yes, he, uh, a 20 year old Swede born to Macedonian parents, um, got the first goal of the Pirlo era. And I thought it was particularly interesting, obviously in the wake of, uh, Iguain's departure, um, is there a chance for maybe Pirlo to be the guy that like bloods in some new players, uh, despite the fact that many of Juve's starters were the old guard, um, I guess you would say, uh, at Juve, but not the old lady, um, in, <laughs> in this case, but, but Kulishevsky like gets the goal seemed to play quite well as it also, even though he's been on loan at Parma the last two seasons. Um, he seems like a pretty decent player and uh, maybe an heir to the 
throne of one Zlatan Ibrahimovic in terms of the uh, the Swedish Eastern European connection. Yeah, Sweden have quite the options in, in Kulishevsky and Alexander Isak, who's been fantastic for El Sociedad. So, I mean, good on them. But uh, yeah, he had, he had a very good game, and that finish was, again, individual quality showing there um, after Cristiano Ronaldo dribbles into the box, and it, it kind of bounces to him, and he just curls it really nicely into that far corner. Um, and I think he was Rookie of the Year or whatever they call that award in Italy. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that is something too that Pirlo probably will do is bring in some youngsters. They, he did play Jean-Luca Frabotta, who is a wing back, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as well, I think he'll still rely on the, the Chiellinis and the Bonucci's and and when when they're fit, you know, Dybala and the like. So um, it's, they you know, they have a lot of depth, but a lot of injuries right now too. And, and Bernardeschi, Alexandro, Delith, who I think has a lot to prove this season, um, you know, highly regarded Dutch center back, who I don't think he showed all his quality last season. So for Pirlo to get a tune out of all these players is, is going to be very interesting indeed. It'll be an interesting title defense uh, for Juve, and uh, we'll be we'll be paying attention to Syria as well. Um, oh, we, real quick, Weston yeah. McKinney played really well. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah, so weird to see an American in Italy. I think he's <laughs> only like the fifth American to ever play. Yeah, in in Serie A. So good on him. Pretty, no, it's a good, good debut. Yeah. That's a good shout too. And and I mean, I guess wrapping it all up, we started, started the league kind of roundup talking about Schalke's demolition and obviously <laughs> McKinney's uh, departure to Juve a little bit, a part of their restructuring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is wild to see an American playing it as, you know, at a club like Juve too. I mean, and now looking around uh, Europe and seeing, you know, McKinney at, at Juve and Pulisic at, at Chelsea and, um, you know, even Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig, like seeing right. Americans at these big clubs is starting to become like much more common, which for sure, hopefully says good things about <laughs> Reina, the U.S. Men's Reina National Dortmund. Team. Yeah. Reina Dortmund as well. Um, goal. Yeah. If there's one thing I want McKinney to do in his time in Italy, it's to convince Cristiano Ronaldo Jr. to declare for the United States <laughs> because he is eligible. <laughs> Let's lock down those those genes, I guess, uh, for for the, the men's national team. But um, but Mika, we've got a uh, as we kind of close things out here tonight, uh, we've got a new. Uh, way for us to highlight the music uh, without getting ourselves in trouble. Do you want to talk through <laughs> your idea here? Yeah, I think that it would be great if we could just put together a Spotify playlist for for our listeners because, you know, as we said on our first podcast, we were, Phil and I are very much football fans and music fans, so we figure why don't we just put together a playlist that kind of has songs that we that we think are reflective of the week or even just songs that we like and want you all to hear um, you know, I know the f- podcast is called hardcore football, but, um, we're not going to explicitly play hardcore before anyone drags me for not, you know, putting like 
Misfits on there or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll we'll probably all our songs will probably run the gamut of of rock music, I guess you could say. So yeah, I'm calling it for now the sounds of the season playlist. And we'll have that on, on Spotify. Do you want to uh go ahead and give us your so I I think we're for now we're sticking to two songs per week. We'll see what the yeah. uh see how it goes. Um but do you want to talk us through your uh your picks for the week? For sure. So because I am so afraid of being dragged by the internet, I am <laughs> going to pick an actual hardcore song to put on the playlist. So I, my first pick is Start Today by Gorilla Biscuits. Um just it's it's a good song that I think really um fits with the start of the season uh more of a positive upbeat hardcore song a youth crew band as it were mm-hmm. um so that's my first one and then this one is kind of just celebrating the the shot and fright of some of the teams that got smashed like Schalke <laughs> and, and Manchester United so I've gone with sorry you're not a winner by enter shikari <laughs> <laughs> and enter shikari uh I can't remember where in England they're from actually um because I was trying to see if they consult St. Albans, Hertfordshire, which I believe is like just outside London. And they, they actually, if I'm not mistaken, are now sponsoring their, uh, the shirt of their like local club, like St. Albans FC that's playing in like the lower divisions. Yes. It's a nice shirt too. It's like a Hummel shirt. Yeah. St. Albans city. Yes. So I kind of want the shirt. Yeah. (laughs) So if so you're awesome. in, if you're a fan of Enter Shikari, you should probably land yourself a St. Albans City kit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I went uh, for this week. Um, I similarly went for a British based band uh, in one of my picks, and this one, uh, as a Liverpool fan, I had to go this way. But Bring Me the Horizon, a Sheffield based band. Uh, and their song Chelsea Smile. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so that that one uh, holds a particular place in my heart, just because it is like. That's like peak two thousand eight scene music. Um, mm. Like it's it's so uh, yeah. It's it's just raucous and and uh, like. They just do not give a shit. Um, and it's fun. Um, and then, uh, and then to, to kind of match that energy, I think that we have this week of like a bunch of teams that are really enjoying things or enjoying this transition and a bunch of teams that are really not, um, I have the, uh, band counterparts, a, uh, out of Hamilton, Ontario, a Canadian band, um, they uh their song paradise and plague um which has aside from the fact that it's kind of this dichotomy or whatever it has like if you listen to just the beginning of it it has probably one of my favorite guitar intro riffs um that I've heard in recent memory, like it's just mm-hmm. unique and awesome um and counterparts are a little bit more of a like hardcore, like a traditional hardcore band, um, but modern. So they have Mm -hmm. kind of that, uh, melody to them as well. So, um, yeah, really love that, that song, um, which, uh, which just came out this year. And, 
Yeah. I, I love the, the idea of this playlist too, because it'll become like, it'll inevitably become this like crazy, huge beast where you <laughs> could just like flip it on and have these kind of random memories with this podcast, which is kind of the idea. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, and there's some, I mean, I've never heard the counterpart song, so I myself am going to be listening to this playlist for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to, and I think like the, uh, what I would love to is just like, you know, obviously we'll have our songs or whatever, but I love the idea too, of like people making suggestions and like, Absolutely. you know, collaborating or whatever. So if you have a song that you're like, this is what I'm feeling, you know, this week, you can absolutely, uh, hit us up at HXC football, uh, on Twitter and, you know, drop the song there and, and let us know, um, why, why you think it fits, why you, why you want to, uh, highlight it. And, uh, we could talk about it maybe on the, on the next show. Um, This has been Hardcore Football. You can find us uh, basically wherever podcasts are found. Spotify, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play at the moment. Um, and we will be uh, just expanding the show and kind of coming up with new ideas week in and week out. We're going to talk uh, in depth about all of the different leagues throughout Europe. So if there's something that you thought like we should have talked about this week, uh, trust us. Like we know that there's stuff we didn't get to. Um, Definitely. and there'll be plenty more that we're covering as we go week in and week out, um, to, uh, to bring this, uh, this content to you. So I hope you've enjoyed and, uh, we will see you guys next time.